1: How's it going, everybody? Jamie Monroe here. Really excited to be back with the Philacrosophy podcast, the in-season edition with Andy Towers, brought to you by Axia Time.
2: Andy, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going very well. I'm hanging out with Frank Towers here. We finally got a little sun in, uh, in the room after a lot of wind yesterday. So. I heard there's a
1: lot of wind. I did a podcast with Kark yesterday, and this, the power was running out.
2: You know what I like about the wind is, you know, the Christmas special how Heat Miser and Snow Miser went head to head for a long, long time. Yeah, we were all kind of waiting for that next sort of piece of nature, and they finally added Wind Miser. I don't know his name exactly, but but he was recently added, and it was. Uh, I thought about him yesterday. It was a good. It was a good ad. Yeah, it was.
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: The Philo podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Well, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty
1: good weekend all across too. Um, let's let's dive right into it. Um, let's talk about the Ohio State Bucknell game. Um, Ohio State continues to plow forward and win games. And they're doing it impressively um, on the road and at home. What are your thoughts on that game, Andy?
2: I'm really impressed by Ohio State and what they've been able to do. And while they don't have a quality win as defined by a current top 20, uh, using the media poll this week, week three of, two, you know, recently as of 225, they don't have, uh, you know, a top 20 win. They've beaten Cleveland State by three, BU by seven, UMass by four, Bucknell by three. Uh, you know, they are one of, what, five undefeated teams at this point left in Division One, or at least in top Division I. Um, so I ranked them five this week in my poll. I know that the media poll has them ranked nine. Um, I have them ranked last out of the five undefeated teams behind Loyola, Maryland, Towson and Cornell. But again, they've beaten some great teams and, and they've done they beat UMass on the road. And you know, for all indications, they are gonna be right there in the Big Ten hunt. And and certainly if they continue to play as well as they have, there's no reason to believe that they, you know, aren't a team that can make the final four in late May.
1: Yeah. And you know, I mean the bottom line is is like I think we said earlier, like when they're athletic enough, they're so well coached and they've got skill. Um, that they're gonna they're gonna scheme you and uh, understand how to score goals, and they're so buttoned up on both sides of the ball, riding, clearing, and everything that they do. To me, it just comes down to when they're athletic enough, and so I guess we're gonna see. They've got. You know, the meets, they're undefeated now, and they've had, a, they've had you know, a, a lot of great sort of those 50 50 ball games, but they're heading into, you know, a bear of a schedule with Notre Dame and Denver and the Big Ten uh, coming up
2: soon. So. They are, but, but they're one of the teams that are great at the X. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at teams that can win the national championship. I just think that given the way that that position is dominated in today's day and age, and you gotta really, you know, uh, throw a shout out to Greg Gurindlian and the, the Face-Up Army, Matt Schaumburg, these guys that, you know, have really done a great job teaching that position over the last six to eight years. Uh, you know, it seems like these programs in Division One, if you don't have a guy or two guys that are capable of going out and just dominating the X, is your team really a team that can be considered to win win it all and i just i don't think that you can be it's not like 15 years ago where the the best guys in the country were sort of in the high 60s in terms of winning possess, winning percentage now you got guys going out and going you know 25 for, yeah going 80% and yeah. and you just look at the penn state game i know we're going to talk about you just look at the penn state yale game and the fact that Penn State loses that game by one, but T.D. Ireland wins, you know, roughly 25 out of 30 or 31, whatever it was. If you don't have a guy that that can that can allow you to be super competitive at the X, hard to believe that you're going to have a chance really at winning the national championship.
1: Yeah. Well, the statistics say that. You know, um, the biggest thing is is you have to be competitive. Uh, I don't think you you could go forty percent and still win a game, but if you're going twenty percent, it makes it really really hard for you. So it's I think really, really hard. Yeah. There's no. Problem. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Carolina Hopkins game. I was at that game. It was about forty two degrees in like torrential rain, and it, it, it's and it, it rained all week. I mean, the the field, Was, you know, had standing water on it. Um, For the fans, it wasn't so bad because actually in Keenan Stadium, there's an overhang. So the fans actually stayed dry, thank God. Um, But uh, a really, uh, you know, disappointing result for the Tar Heels, a a must win for the Jays. Uh, They were fired up, man, and they executed. um, And, uh, you know, get interested in your opinions on that one.
2: That was an incredible bounce back performance by. Johns Hopkins. I mean, you you gotta you gotta just really give a lot of credit to to Petro and BD and Bobby Benson for going down to Chapel Hill after getting essentially blown out the first two games by two super high quality opponents in Towson and Loyola, but to go down to North Carolina and play the heels three um, and O, and to come out of that game with a W shows a lot of guts by that team, um, and 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 they had to go and they had to do it and they had to do it on a field that was horrendous I mean I watched that game start to finish and I'm a little biased for North Carolina obviously having coached with Joe Bresch at at, at Brown and having him coach me for a year and certainly I'm a Tar Heel fan but to not recognize and appreciate how great of a bounce back performance that was by Johns Hopkins I was um, not surprised it was a close game at all um, but you look at that field and that was you know that was like right out of naked and afraid Right. I mean <laughs> it looked like you know two naked people hanging out in the you know the Amazon with snakes and crocodiles and, and that's kind of like the way the game seemed like. I just have never seen a field that that challenging. And I think how about, again, how about
1: the nineteen ninety
2: UMass brown at UMass playoff game. I, I think say, that might have been similar. That, was, that was that was the field that closely that, that resembled that, you know, field down in Chapel Hill, the most to my recollection. Um, I will say that I think that those, that field favored Hopkins, as I think probably the lesser athletic of the two teams between the lines. Um, I think a surface like that hurts the quicker, faster team more than it does the bigger team. And not that Hopkins is necessarily bigger than the Tar Heels, but I do think the Tar Heels have an advantage in athleticism, particularly in the midfield. And I think that that was neutralized due to some field conditions to some degree what do you think on that
1: yeah I think that um there's no question that you know generally I think that that those kinds of conditions favor the defense because it's harder to dodge in general like I hated playing on really slick surfaces because I like to change direction um but uh at the same time I agree with you that that
2: until the father-son game once I was playing in the father-son game as the father then I like I like that type of field better.
1: Yeah, because you want to bring, you know, and it's, it's only going to get worse, Andy, you know.
2: Yeah, it is. Next year, the
1: father-son game is going to be a tougher matchup
2: than it was I last year. Even, I hope it's even more naked and afraid next year when I play in father-son.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, listen, Hopkins shot the ball, shot the ball better. Um, Carolina actually played, I thought, really good defense in the game. Um, they failed to clear it a few times. They really kind of shot them in the foot, honestly. I would say that th- those were some of the things that occurred. Yeah. Statistically, I looked at the clearing, and and, and it, it didn't look as bad as it kind of felt at the time. As far as giving a few, giving a few back, I guess that one where they got a tough ground ball and popped it behind the back, Hopkins picked it off and scored on that play it might be part of the reason why I felt that way. Um, but um, you know, but uh, Carolina's got a heck of a schedule coming up, and so they just got to re- regroup. They got Denver coming up. They're opening their stadium. Um, they got Denver at home. Um, and, uh, you know, they're just going to have to get back to work and figure it out. And Hopkins, um, you know, they needed that win. They'd never been 0-3 in program history, and they got the win, and they were fired up, man. I mean, you know, they, they had the band there. They were going crazy right. every time they made a play. And I, I really thought that, that you know, they jumped on Carolina early. Carolina bounced back and played really tough and really well and then just had a few mental mistakes that really cost them. And, and that penalty, too, you know, I mean, I think that the uh, the high hit by Cook – um, was uh, you know probably something that you know cost him a goal in two minutes. Uh, it could have been more than that, but it was it wasn't a great. That's definitely
2: a great call. You know I was followed Ryan Flanagan on on uh, Twitter and. And he was adamant that he shouldn't be suspended for a game. And I don't think he should be suspended for a game. I, I don't think so either. I'm just talking about, like, you can't – it's in the fourth quarter of a game, taking a penalty hurts your team. Yeah, listen, it was it was, it was was stupid. It was a stupid play. There was no need for it. You, you didn't need to elbow him in the head. You could have run right through his body. Yeah. And gotten the same result. And, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say, hey, you know, that yeah. was a good game. But what, what, what can't be understated was how well Hopkins bounces back after getting you know, blown out by, you know, eight by Albany or whatever it is. You know, they, they, you know, by Towson, they lose to nine by Towson. They lose to six by Loyola. And then they come back and they beat Carolina at Carolina. Carolina's three and oh, you know, that was a game that Carolina needed to win. And Hopkins obviously needed to win a little bit more as they came out uh, on top. But I, I was just impressed by the fact that they could rise to the occasion and I had them ranked as high – I ranked them at 14 this week based on the fact that they don't have any bad losses. While they got blown out in two losses, they got blown out by two teams that are ranked number one and number seven in Loyola and Towson, and they have a win over current number 20, but at the time, number 14, North Carolina. So, uh, you know, I think
1: Carolina's going to be fine. I mean, they, 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 their defense is playing well. Um, they've got athletes. Uh, you know, you don't, they're going sh- to shoot better over the course of time. They, they – they, they, they didn't shoot
2: as well as they can, and so... Listen, I, I don't think there's... You know, there's there's a couple of teams that have separated themselves from the group. Hopkins and Carolina are both in that next group of whatever. Ten, 10 schools, I think.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Oh, how about the uh, Richmond-Notre Dame game? Huge win for Richmond. Right. Um, knocking off Notre Dame, who was... You know, hadn't really had much of a body of work because they started playing so late, but were you know, pretty much considered a top 10 team by just about everybody. And uh, Ryan Lansbury with three goals, junior sophomore attackman out of Burlington, Ontario, righty Canadian, really nice player, played in the U19 team, kind of led the way in goals. And um, what are your thoughts on that game? Did you get a chance to look at that one?
2: Well, I, I, you and I discussed that game briefly at the end of the last podcast, and I thought Notre Dame would handle it. And, um, you know, I was wrong. Uh, to Richmond's credit, not only did they jump out in, in front and, you know, had a, a three goal lead sort of going into the fourth quarter, or whatever. They were up nine, six at one point and sure enough, Notre Dame makes their run and and yeah. they you know, had the opportunity at the end to tie it up and to Richmond's credit, they didn't allow it to happen and Richmond wins a one goal game. I mean Richmond there I, I ranked them this week at nine. They have a, you know, they, they beat Notre Dame, who was ranked one uh, eight last week. They have a one-goal loss to number three Maryland. They've beaten Bucknell by two, UNBC, who's very well coached by five. And, you know, we shouldn't probably be that surprised by this result. I mean, yeah. Notre Dame, again, I think is going to be challenged on the offensive end this year. And play against a team that is well coached like Richmond – they're going to beat in close games and it's tough to win a lot of close games. And sure enough, this week, they didn't get it done. They lose by one and I have them out of the top 20. Um, Somebody was, I was going back and forth on Twitter with this guy, Paul Sanger, who I haven't met, but he was not happy that I had Notre Dame out of the top 20, but I had Denver, Georgetown and North Carolina in the top 20 at 18, 19, 20. And the reality is Denver, their loss is to Duke by one Georgetown's loss is to Towson ranked again by six. You got Carolina that lost to Hopkins by one and Notre Dame doesn't have any wins. They beat, they beat Detroit by 13, which is obviously a no gray area victory, but they've only played two games and they lost to Richmond yeah. by one. Now let's see what happens this week. And, and, you know, again, these early season rankings don't seem to make much sense because there's so much swing due to so few data points surrounding you know the results here that I think over time. Uh, you know clearly I expect Notre Dame to be in the top twenty, and 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 I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the top ten eventually. But they're going to have to short up on the offensive end. I don't I don't think they know who they are that they're not they're not putting up a lot of goals. Um, well, well, they we, can't just give it to Garnsey and get them to get, get you five points at the end of the game. But either. I also don't think that that was good for their offense either. I think no, but at least it,
1: at least it, at least it won you some games. At
2: least you knew you were getting to ten goals. Right, you knew
1: were yeah, yeah. It was a better chance to getting to ten. No, without a doubt. I mean, you know, no question. Um, Navy Maryland. So Navy's been playing really well, and Maryland just continues to impress as they reload with their athletes, led by Bernhardt, led by Wanaskis, who had three and five in the game. You know, I watched a bunch of the clips, and man, they they, just—I just love what they do. They're just smart. They're skilled. They're athletic, um, and they're adapting to the new rules.
2: No question. Listen, I, I was—I've been down on Maryland this year, uh, due to sort of the lackluster results. You know, it looks like—you know—I always expect them to beat people worse than they do, but here they are sitting at five and zero, oh, and they beat Bucknell, who's always a, a very well-coached team, by five. They beat Richmond by one. They beat Penn by one. They beat Colgate, who beat Syracuse for the first week of the season by five, and now Navy by five. And now all of a sudden, I got Maryland ranked two this week, and I think justifiably so. Um, you know, it just doesn't surprise me. They don't ever seem to lose close games, Maryland, to me. You know, they, they always find a way to somehow get it done, even when they maybe don't play really, really well by, uh, you know, everybody else's standards at the, at the end of the day, the job is to win the game and they win the game. Yep. Right. And yep. and not too dissimilar to the Patriots in that respect, um, but again, this is a team with two great face-off guys. They got a super dangerous offense that is, you know, sort of finding themselves here. And, you know, here they are again, I, I think at 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 five and oh and two in the country, and deservedly so. So I think it was a great week for them. How about the Rutgers
1: Loyola game? Loyola just establishing their dominance and Pat Spencer continuing to establish his dominance, um, Rutgers got themselves a little bit of a hole. They got to dig themselves out of Well, they got Big Ten play coming up, so they'll be fine if they, if they can uh, get into that tournament and win some of those games. But what are your thoughts on, the, on that
2: matchup? I, you know, I thought Loyola would, would win big. I, I, I thought it would be 18-10, to 10. Um, but obviously 13-7. to seven, I think six-goal victory by Loyola is about the same uh, margin. I'm just really, really impressed with, obviously, Pat Spencer's having a phenomenal year and and I think is widely considered the front runner for national player of the year. The reality is, though, is Grant Amen is having that same type of season. Um, He's not maybe making the same amount of jaw-dropping dunks and behind-the-back feeds that Pat Spencer has been doing on a week-to-week basis, but he's certainly playing at that exact same level, in my opinion. Um, You know, but Loyola is a really, really well-coached team. Let's face it, that staff is phenomenal. They've got a senior goaltender that's playing like a first-team All-American. When they win face-offs the way Bailey Savio did on Saturday, I I don't have it in front of me, but I think he was like 16 for 23, something like that. You know, it's just a team that sort of looks a little bit like the way Yale looked last year, where they just don't beat themselves at all. And on the offensive end, you throw in a guy like – Pat Spencer, who's, again, like Ben Reeves, is is just the the ultimate weapon. It just doesn't seem like he's got a weakness. You can't shut him off. He he can get the ball whenever he wants. And then you factor in Chase Scanlon, who's automatic, and Kevin Lindley, who's automatic. They don't even have Aiden Olmstead. Uh, This is is a team that's clearly established itself as the number one team in the country, in my opinion, and I'm sure the opinion of of many others. I was not, not at all surprised by this result.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, when you've got a guy like Spencer that can change the dynamic of the game, it makes everybody else's job easier. When the guy like Spencer, who's like, really, feeding is probably his favorite thing to do, and he goes five and two because you can't right.
2: go right. You know, And I think what's going to happen is, is people are seeing him as a goal scorer in a way that he hasn't been during the first three years of his career. And I think what's going to happen, what you're going to see is people are going to start to turn him back into a feeder again. I think they have to. Otherwise, they're going, to, they're going to be giving up close to, you know, 15-plus every single game. It's
1: going to be interesting to see, though, Loyola when they, uh, when they do truly get challenged. So they haven't been challenged yet.
2: And there's some teams out there that I think will challenge them. Um, you know, but, yet, but, them. Yet, but yet, Jamie, sorry to interrupt, but yet they've played Virginia, Hopkins, and Rutgers. <laughs> yes. right? I mean, yes. so to this point, they've played the most challenging schedule in the country, in my opinion. Sure. You
1: know. Yeah, no, I know. Listen, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him, but I just I just can't wait to see him, you know, matched up. Well, Towson this Wednesday. I mean, that's going to be a phenomenal matchup, and um, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do against a team, you know, and this is really how they're de- – my question is – you know, is really how, how good is Loyola's defense. They've played great, but how good are they? It's hard to know yet because as it, the games haven't even been that
2: challenging yet. And that's a testament to how well coached they are and how good they are. No question about it. But it's going that's to be interesting to see. That. I think the key for that game, listen, for Towson, for Towson to, be, to have a chance to win that game, and I got Towson, I ranked Towson third this, this year, this week. Uh, I've been really, really impressed by what they've done to this point. Uh, I've heard that Zach Goodrich is hurt that he's not going to be playing this week. Again, I don't know. It's hearsay. I'm a balding 30, 50 year old living in Connecticut. So I really, I don't know for sure. Uh, <laughs> what I do know is that for Towson to have a chance, Woodall has got to control the X against two really, really, uh, or against a really good player in Savio. And if, if, if Woodall wins and I think Woodall does win the face-off matchup this week, that's going to give Towson the opportunity to win this game. It will. If Savio wins faceoffs. I think Towson's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, um, you know, I think that
1: that's going to be an amazing matchup. Um, And uh, stay tuned. And actually, I'm on LSN. I'm doing the – I'm an analyst pregame, halftime, and postgame for that game. So, uh, that's Wednesday, 6 p.m. East Coast time. So, pretty fired up for that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Syracuse Army. Syracuse comes through with another win. Uh, over a really uh, scrappy Army team that you know made this into a one-goal game. It ended up being the 10-8 final, uh, but Army closed the gap with about four minutes left to a goal. Um, and uh, you know, I give I give Army credit because they are figuring out ways to create offense. They've got a good defense. They're athletic, uh, but uh, Syracuse uh, held serve at home.
2: Yeah, I I thought Syracuse would win this game, even though I had Army ranked ahead of Syracuse last week. In fact. Back- Syracuse has figured out who they are. I think the best thing that happened to them is getting beat by Colgate first game of the year at home. And they've come back with two great wins, beating Albany by eight, and then coming back and beating Army, who's off to a great start, by two up in the dome. You know, as you know, Army is always a team that's prepared at the start of the season. They've got an awesome goaltender. They've got a great defense. And they compete for everything start to finish. And they're never going to get outworked. But to Syracuse's credit, they were able to manage the game and, and come away with a hard-fought two-goal victory against a team that's, you know, looking to beat the shit out of you and never going to back down with some really good players at the defensive end and some, some good young guys on the offensive end. But I'm, just, I'm not surprised by this result, and I think Syracuse is going to continue to move ahead and have success.
1: Yeah, they always seem to. It's amazing. You know, their record in one-goal games is just – Unbelievable. They've they've won something like 23 one-goal games in the last
2: four or five years. Right. Without Bill Tierney and Andy Shea coaching them, that's unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) It is unbelievable.
1: Um, How about the Georgetown-Towson result? That was 14-9. You know, who's the kid from Towson who had four and five in that game? I mean,
2: four and five. Brian Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. But that's like, that's like big time points. Are you kidding me? It's, it's unbelievable. That kid's having an unbelievable year. The first yeah. game of the year when they played Hopkins, that kid I think was six and two, you know, one and two off the break. He's got a bomb of a shot. And you know, that first game, six and two, you're thinking, wow, this kid is phenomenal. I had never heard of him. And then last game he comes back and he goes four and five. Listen, he's having a first team all American season through three games. And if they continue to win faceoffs and get possessions, which they should do as long as Woodall stays healthy. This is a kid who, at the end of the year, is going to be in the conversation as you know one of the very best attackmen in the country. And you know, to this point, he's he's right there playing step in step with the best guys. So yeah. um, I had never heard of the kid, but he is tearing it up. Is it, he's like a he's like from a like Hudson Valley or 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 Dutchess County, New York, someplace like that, right? It's got some sort off the beaten path like that.
1: Yeah, you're gonna have to look it up, but but you know. Towson known for playing great defense, Yeah, you know, from Coach and You know, they always play. And they play like this really kind of like they don't slide all that much. You know, they've had amazing shorties over the years. You, you yep. mentioned that Goodrich might be uh, injured for this upcoming game, which would change things, I would think. But but um, they play phenomenal defense. They're just well organized. And, and they tended to have struggled to score a little bit. And now it looks like they might have a better offense than they had in their Final Four run. You know, it's it could be a pretty scary team.
2: Yeah, if they're again if they're winning faceoffs and they keep getting the ball, it's a really scary team. Now their defense plays every possession with tons of energy, and they're ready to go. And you know, for a team that's made their mark on the defensive end of the field, for them to win faceoffs and start to have offensive success, we're looking at a team again that you know, could be playing in the final four. It's that it's, the, I, I ranked them third this week and I think they deserve it.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be great. So Wednesday, 6 p.m. East coast time, check out Towson and Loyola cross-town rivalry, unbelievable matchup. Um, and it's going to be on LSN.
0: The Philacross podcast is made possible in part by the JM three video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com.
1: All right, it is time for the Axia Time Ivy League review. So... John Canaris was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s, won a couple of Ivy championships, took his team to the Final Four, lost to the Gate Brothers. We talked about it last week on the, uh, on the infamous Airgate, which I hope we see coming up in, now that the dive is legal. Maybe you can. Maybe we will get another Airgate someday. Um, but um, he John um, has started this company called Axia Time, and he makes these custom watches. They're Swiss uh, watches they're like they're basically like tag cure uh, level of watch um, but it what he's done with this axie time is he's he's basically taken his passion for watches and his passion for pen lacrosse and he's kind of made it into a business and what what he's made is these watches with a, a nice little logo of your school he started out with ivy league schools because he he was in that league um and he had a watch when he won the ivy championship way back in the day and now he's created these watches that um are, they're really they're really sweet i'm pumped up i haven't gotten mine yet you, have you, you haven't gotten yours yet have you Andy?
2: no but it's coming it it's said that it was mailed
1: out yesterday we've seen the pictures of it so it's pretty sick i i got the one i got one with a sort of a silver band and with a nice little um the brown shields and it's nice and small. It's not really a huge logo. Um, It's pretty subtle. And um, I think it's going to be sweet. And the bottom line is, is that, you know, we all have the best memories from having played lacrosse in college and, um, and to be able to just kind of, Bring yourself back by having a, having a watch that is not like a big billboard, but just a subtle little reminder. It takes you back to some stories. The one I want to take us back to right now, Andy, is the matchup between Brown and Princeton in 1991. That might have been a rain game too, if I recall. Um, but uh, take us back to that game because this was right around the time when Bill Tierney was was making his mark on college lacrosse and um, and Brown was
2: um, on its way to another undefeated season. I, rem- I remember that game very, very well. That was down in Princeton, 7-5. I think we went into the game maybe ranked two, and Princeton was ranked three, or, or it was the opposite. And I still remember at that point, Princeton was clearly on their way back. Uh, they ended up winning the national championship the next year. But I think that was Coach Tierney's third year, maybe. Uh, at at Princeton, and and what they had been doing is winning face-offs and possessing the ball on the offensive end and really slowing the game down. In fact, the year before, they beat us up in Providence 11-10 or 10-9, something like that. And I remember we had the ball seemingly, it felt like, about 20% of the game, and that Princeton had the ball the whole time. And while we lost that game, we were very mindful of the importance of managing the tempo of the game by possessing an offense and and sort of played Princeton style and used it against them. We were a very high-scoring team in 91. We ran up and down fields. field. You out Princeton, Princeton? we out Princeton, Princeton. And and the credit really goes to Paul Hooper, who, in my memory, it was that game where he figured out how to sub through the midline and in the process of doing so, keeping Princeton's offensive midfielders on the field to play defense. And I still remember Brian Tomio <laughs> covering out and, and, and coming out and, and covering me 25 yards away from the goal. And for those of you that know Brian Tomio, he's one of the more colorful characters in the history of the sport. And he had actually, he was a freshman that year and was not short on swagger. I still remember him coming up to Brown in his recruiting trip and he had a, a like a three inch. Dollar sign medallion that he wore, I think, <laughs> which was, was so touched and so beautiful. uh And so, you know, I I knew him, and he was an awesome guy. And but I still remember that game, like I have having the ball up top in our one for one offense, and him covering me. And I remember saying to him, Brian, you're too far from the goal. You're too far from the goal out here. And, and I think he smiled or whatever he said. And I split dodged him and, and threw it to your brother in the corner. And he scored. And we ended up winning a close, close two-goal game, 7-5. 7-5. I remember that score. Big W. Yeah. It was an aberration in the way that we played. Um, but it was the smart way to play that game. And, and certainly Paul Hooper with his. Uh, so, Paul Hooper, the inventor of the subbing through the midline, as far as we know. Yeah, as far as I can remember, that I don't. Way. I don't remember seeing that prior to that either. Either, and and that was, uh, the way that the way that we managed that game, and it seemed to be the difference in the game. And you know, obviously now everybody does it, but but I distinctly yeah. remember thinking, "Wow, that's really really smart." And then you split up Brian Tomio. Brian Tomio, yep. He didn't All right, know. so um, that's a great
1: memory, and i um, fired up to like go back and talk about these memories during the course of um, our Ivy League review, our Axia Time Ivy League review, but let's get into the actual uh, games here. So first team I want to talk about is Cornell, so uh, Jeff Teat uh, comes out of the gate, being shut off against Hobart, um, and still manages six goals and two assists. And, uh, and, then, and then comes back with a 4-2 and effort against Lehigh. Cornell is 2-0. and They look athletic. Their attack is definitely where their goal scoring is coming from. Jack Piatelli's son is a pretty sick little ex-guy. Yeah. And, um, and Clark Patterson, uh, the righty Canadian finisher, the, the three of those guys, they make a great combination because I think Piatelli has got really good ability to to be a to be a playmaker, to be an X guy, to be two-handed, to be able to use stop and go and roll back moves to get his hands free, and meanwhile those Canadians, you know, bury everything. Uh, one of the best leaners that I've ever seen, by the way, out of Teat this week.
2: So he's he's, a, he's unbelievable. You know, T is on my list. If I have five two-war ton front runners at this point through week three, it was Spencer, Amen, uh, teat and then my last guy was was giles harris the defenseman from duke to me those five have separated themselves at this point also i'm, I'm sure that list will continue to evolve but uh i'm also sure that Def, Jeff jeff teat will not be evolving off of that list with the style of play it's really incredible you know they opened up with hobart late i think they were probably the last team to open up the 2019 season and i'm on a, a in a chat room with a bunch of the, the Cornell alums and, you know, a few of them weren't, weren't positive that a 19 to 16 result against Hobart was, was, was a great thing. And, you know, I, I disagreed. I felt that I feel that this win is going to really hold up. Well, I think Hobart is going to win the NEC. They've yep. got an unbelievable faceoff guy in that kid, Pettison. They've got a very scary offense. They're throwing up a ton of goals. And they got a great coach in Greg Raymond who, you know, has this team confident playing aggressively and are tough. And to see Cornell pull that out. Now, the scary thing is they're giving up a lot of goals. And when they lose face-offs, that isn't that is uh, that is part of the formula to beat Cornell. If you beat yeah. Cornell at the X and you, you know, you, go, you control the ball against their sort of inexperienced defense, I think that's the way you got to beat Cornell. If you're losing face-offs to Cornell, you're in trouble. You're not going to beat them, I don't think. Um, And then Cornell comes back on Sunday. They fall, fall behind five zip. I think the first five shots went in and then they go on a massive 14 to four run and end up beating Lehigh by five goals and Lehigh played well. They really did. But it just goes to show you that Cornell is very, very square. They can, they can score goals in bunches in a hurry. And, it's just a team that's really hard to shut down. I'm so impressed by the way that they pass on the inside. You know, I don't, I'm not sure there's a better interior passing team in the country than Cornell, and they know what they're looking for. I mean, it's always an upgrade. You always think, oh, there's, this, there's the pass that's going to lead to the shot, and they, th- it's always one more pass and then a dunk. You know, and you can't believe that they passed up an eight-yarder to get a two-yarder, but sure enough, the two-yarder goes in the net. And so a very, very impressive start by them uh over okay. two points. everybody
1: shoots better off the pass than they do off the dodge so the fact that they do that is just
2: statistically
1: smart hey did you see dave curry's tweet um where he called jeff teets leaner the best leaner second top two all-time leaners he's ever seen no but- and then me and you and dave curry would drive around in golf carts and just shoot leaners
2: all summer long.
1: <laughs> and just be like telling the goalies with our body language i've never been so low <laughs> I
2: remember it well.
1: I remember it well. Let's talk about Duke Penn. I really was expecting a barn burner in this one, and it really ended up being a little bit of a beat down. It was pouring rain, but it was, unlike the Carolina game, it was played on turf. So I think that even though it was crappy weather for the fans, it probably didn't impact the players as much. But uh, what are your thoughts
2: on that game? I watched that game uh, start to finish. It went off, I think, about 30 minutes late because they, they did change fields and, and moved it from Koskinen over to there. Uh, practice field, and I thought I, I thought Duke would win. I said when we spoke last week during the podcast, I thought Duke. Um, it's well for Duke with with the way that they finished the game against Denver to come back and win a, a a close one goal game against a really high quality opponent in Denver, and Penn falling just short after a great performance against Maryland. I think Penn's performance against Maryland woke Duke up to the fact that. This is a pen team that needs to be taken seriously. Now, did they really need that, given the fact that these two teams have split the last six meetings? Maybe not, but I do think it was important, and I think it favored Duke. It set up well for Duke. Um, I was surprised that, number one, Duke, Duke's Brad Smith, or Brian Smith, I think, beat up Gallagher the way that he did at the faceoff act. You know, interestingly, even though statistically Duke won all the faceoffs, I thought that Penn actually controlled a lot of the draws, but just weren't able to get the ground ball. And I think that it showed the, the difference in the quality of the wings that Duke probably had compared to Penn. And they were able to get a lot of possessions. And it also just seemed like, you know, the ball to bounce in Duke's, Duke's favor. I just felt that a little bit. Now, Duke's up. Whatever they were, 16 to 4 in the middle of the third quarter. I didn't think it would be like that. I thought Penn would play them a lot more competitively, but Duke, Duke just blew their doors off and and you know, Penn Penn can't be happy with that performance. Um and it surprised me that it was it surprised me that it was that bad. But Penn will be back, but they might not be back this weekend because they gotta go to Penn State and it's gonna be just as bad in my opinion.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the Barn burner
2: in Princeton.
1: Virginia pulling out a 12-11 victory. Princeton's freshman, Virginia's freshman goalie, with 24 saves, and Michael Sowers uh, with four and two, and and really scoring goals the hard way too, because he scored a bunch of one-on-one goals, showing that he's one of the better attackmen in Division One lacrosse.
2: Um, What are your thoughts on that game? I watched that whole game as well. Um, I was really impressed with the way Princeton played. They seemed to be in control of the game, in my opinion. And while there was never a huge, you know, big goal advantage, big difference, it just seemed like whenever Virginia would make a run, Princeton would score one or two more goals. And it always seemed like like Princeton was going to win the game. you got to credit Lars Tiffany and his staff for starting Birkenshaw, who I think is was was the best goalie in the country last year as a, as a high school senior and to come in there as a freshman, play his first game on the road against – uh, you know, historically one of the best programs in the history of Division One lacrosse, and to, to answer the bell with 24 saves, it's just, you know, needless to say, that's probably his position <laughs> going into this week's game. Um, but credit Virginia, you know, when they when they had to get a play, uh, they got it. And while they didn't look in sync offensively, in my opinion, they got the job done when they needed to get it done. Michael Krause feeding Laviano inside, and while it was a little bit of a uh, odd shot that went in, um, it went in, and and Virginia got a much 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 needed victory after dropping a close game to High Point earlier in the week. You know, this was a critical game for. For, for Virginia to get, and they got it. Um, Michael Sowers, there's no question. I think he's one of the very best attackmen in the country. A different style of player than Pat Spencer, but very similar to the way Grant Ament plays. Um, I think Michael Sowers is maybe a bigger threat going to the goal than Grant Ament, but maybe not. But he's yeah. certainly dodging. He's of a,
1: I think he's very much of a Jordan Wolf type of slasher who's physical, even though he's not, not a big guy, but he, he's just like he initiates contact in a, in a really, uh, he
2: is, he's, he's, he's he's laser quick side to side does it both ways. He's really, really fun to watch. Um, again, a first team all American caliber player, uh, you know, right there with Teet and Spencer and Grant Amen. Um, it's going to be, uh, again, it's the year of the attackman. I think. There's going to be first team all American caliber attackmen that make honorable mention. There's no question. Unless their parents call and, and, say we contribute to the program and my kid really should be a first team all-american <laughs> the old parent
1: call the old, uh, parent. So, the old parent call um so brown stony brook pretty uh, disappointing result for the uh, brown bears um the game was 13 11 but it was 13 to 6 at one point in time um i think that Looking at Stony Brook's game against Penn State earlier, where they're down 15 nothing in early to mid third quarter, you know maybe Brown was overlooking them a little bit and thinking we're better because we, you know, uh, shit kicked Quinnipiac the week before, but uh, definitely uh, not a great not a great second
2: game for the Bears. No, but a but a great bounce back for Stony Brook after getting yeah. drop kicked into the ocean by Penn State to come back and beat Brown on the road after Brown again had exploded offensively against Quinnipiac it makes you a little concerned about Brown as a Brown alum and as a fan of the program and somebody that wants to see them succeed you know to fall behind 13 to 6 I think it was at one point was just was not good I, mean, they, they, I think they were down 8-4 and a half and you know it was as close as it could be at the very end of the game and the score finished 13-11 but it was not that close of a game it, it, it was Stony Brook was firmly in control and why Brown did put a realistic scare into them at the end of the game, um, yeah. just not enough, too late. Yeah. They're on their heels a little bit. One bright spot for Brown was, was freshman Darian Cook, who I think was Ivy League Rookie of the Week. Five goals in the fourth quarter. What a great uh, performance that was for them. They're going to they're need more out of him as they move ahead if they hope to change the results.
1: Uh, how about the Harvard-UMass game? You know, Harvard plays Carolina tough last week. Um, and then has a home home loss to UMass, 12-9. Um, you know, it's just – Harvard just needs to get over the hump. Um, I mean, they've got, they've got players. Um, they've definitely got good schemes. I like what they do, uh, but they just simply aren't quite getting over that hump.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not surprised at all by this result. UMass was due. UMass is a tougher team. Uh, and i just think that this game doesn't set up well for harvard harvard played north carolina very competitively the week before and to come back and play umass who was looking for their first win it didn't set up well for harvard i'm not i'm not at all surprised by this result harvard umass it's all it's always a good game like brown umass yeah. brown harvard um you know but but i'm not surprised to see umass pull this win out um, even though Harvard had played a, a tough game and uh, against Carolina the week before so that's so when
1: you play a team tough and you feel good about it but you lost it's like this fool's gold that that you know the coaches are going to try to talk you out of but you know you're just like you know it it's kind of like with Penn you know it's like all right we played a really close loss to a really good team so we're good and then next thing you know, you're just not ready to play every game is a new is a new slate and um, so I, mean, how, I think that
2: probably how, How many times can the coach say to the team when they lose a close match? Well, you know what, guys, you're just you're a super bunch of nice kids. You know, you're just a just a great bunch of kids. You know, I mean, it just it gets old. It gets old. All right, game of the weekend in the Ivy League was
1: Yale and Penn State. I was watching that this morning. Uh, Definitely heavyweight bout. uh, Really high scoring. Pretty amazing because both those teams play good defense, but they're just they play great offense also. You know, uh, Ament you referred to as one of the best attackmen in the country um, with two and seven in a matchup against Chris Fake that everyone thought would be the titanical matchup. And uh, Ament really got the better of that one. And then at the same time, you know, you look at Morrill and who's really not considered one of the top guys in the country necessarily. But that kid is so good. He is so smart. Two and five, he, he goes in that game. And, um, but maybe the story of the game was the face offs and the domination that you wouldn't have expected as far as the heavyweight match of the two teams, the two face off Titans, you would have expected to be sort of a 50 50 thing. I listened to Greg Beast do a little bit of commentary on that. It was pretty interesting. Um, so, what were your thoughts?
2: Well, you pretty much pegged it. I mean, I, I couldn't have been more wrong about this game in terms of the way the matchups went, but I was right in the result in that I picked Yale to win the game. Uh, number one, I thought Arcieri would get the better of T.D. Ireland. and certainly that was a bent nail. I mean, he got crushed, and it's not like it's not like Erland beat you know some random guy off the street. I mean, he beat what I consider the second best guy in the country, and he just destroyed him. And I was blown away by that. Um, and Did you watch it closely enough to be able to tell what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, they were essentially doing the same move. You know, one of the things that. Greg was talking about when he was on the air was how uh series head was elevating during the tie up where TD went, you know, down and, and, you know, he knows that position better than anybody else in the world at this point. And, you know, you got to believe that was the reason. And, but I, I just, I just didn't think it would be that one sided. I was really, really shocked by that. And, you know, it just solidifies the fact that TD Ireland's probably the best face-off guy in the history of, of college lacrosse. There's, there's just no question about it. He just keeps, putting performance after performance out there that, you know, only brings you back to that same conclusion. The other matchup that I was dead wrong about was Chris Fake on Grant Ament. I thought Chris Fake would win that matchup and I thought he would win it handily. I considered Chris Fake the best defenseman in the country going into that game and Grant amen just destroyed him. And that just blew me away. And you could see how frustrated Fake was at the end of the game and, you know look he's still one of he's still a first team all american defenseman in my opinion but it does give a great data point on how good grant grant ament is and how he absolutely should be in the conversation with pat spencer as one and one a in terms of guys that are 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 player of the year candidates to me, after this game, after watching it and then watching Duke Penn and seeing what JT's Giles Harris did against Matthias, who I consider one of the one of the better attackmen in the country and one of the best attackmen in the Ivy League, he killed him. And, you know, this is a week after him shutting down Ethan Walker. And while you and I discussed that Ethan Walker's not, you know, a ball-on-your-stick playmaker style of player the way that Michael Sowers and Grant Amen and, you know, Pat Spencer are, he's still one of the best players in the country and it's two weeks in a row where JT Giles Harris has taken the best offensive players in the country out of the game and so for me I have him as you know kind of the front runner for defenseman of the year right now through three games and again I'm sure it will evolve as we gather more data points and great teams continue to play each other over the course of the season but uh, I was dead wrong on those two matchups but fortunately was correct in Yale winning the game um and I think you're looking at two teams that are going to be playing in the final four again.
1: Well, each week we have our Axia time uh, Ivy league players of the week. And um, mine goes to Jeff T Cornell, 10 goals and four assists in two games, huge fan of his game. We've already kind of broken it down, so I won't repeat it. Um, but uh, wh- what about you, Andy? What's your, uh, I can guess.
2: I can guess. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm going to TD Ireland at Yale. His performance against, again, the second best guy in the country was just off the charts. And so that's an easy pick for me. I got TD Ireland. Awesome.
1: Well, if you're interested in these watches, axiatime.com. I can't wait to get mine. Um, they're basically like five thousand dollar watches that you're going to get for a little bit less than a thousand Swiss made. Why are they less expensive? Because there's this John Canaris runs a small company. He's got no overhead, number one, and number two, he doesn't pay a middleman. He sells direct, and by doing that, he's able to bring to you um, a Swiss made watch with basically as nice of a watch like a Tag hewer type of watch, um, and it can have your uh, it can have your Ivy League logo on it. It's pretty sweet. So go to uh, BRUNO100 to get $100 off as a coupon code, axiatime.com. All right, Andy, let's talk. Um, our last segment here is going to be just uh, next week's game. So we've already kind of talked about the Towson-Loyola game, um, but give me your prediction real quick.
2: For uh, Towson-Loyola? Yep. I think that Loyola wins the game 14-10. to 10. Nice. All right, Carolina, Denver. Carolina, Denver, I think that um, I think Carolina wins the game 9-8. Big, big call. All right. Syracuse, Virginia. I think that they play up in the dome. I think that Syracuse wins that game uh, 10 to 12. Princeton. Sorry, 10, 12, 10, Princeton Hopkins. Princeton Hopkins, I think Hopkins wins that game 10-8. Penn State, Penn. I think Penn State wins the game 17 to 8. Yale,
1: UMass, uh, NCAA tournament rematching, which UMass really gave Yale a better run for their money than I think anybody yeah. thought they I
2: think I think Yale wins 11 to 9.
1: Close game. Yep.
2: Um, and we'll close it
1: out with Cornell, Albany, and then give me the Notre Dame, Maryland scores.
2: Sure. I, I think Cornell, Albany is going to be. Uh, I think Cornell wins the game. They're playing up in Ithaca. I, I think Cornell wins the faceoffs. I think that spells trouble for Albany. I can see Cornell win winning this game 14 to 8. Um, beyond that, on Sunday, where Maryland travels out to South Bend. While I expect Notre Dame to bounce back, I don't think they're going to bounce back this week against Maryland. I think Maryland continues to get it done, but I do think it's a low-scoring, close game. Uh, I'm going to say Maryland beats Notre Dame 8-6. to six.
1: Uh, Old school. Sounds like the 7-5 uh, 1991 Princeton-Brown game. So, Andy, listen, this was a total blast. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, and, um, we really appreciate Axia time for sponsoring our segment and sponsoring our podcast and, uh, we'll catch you next
2: week. Always fun, J.M. You're the man. I'll check in. Five
1: man.
0: The Philacross podcast is made possible in part by the JM three video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com.